The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I wonder, you know, I wonder if um, that disclaimer at the beginning of the show is whether that's done twice every show or whether they particularly look at what the guest, who the guests are and, and stay, stay, stay far away. Um, my guest today is one who, um, unfortunately, a lot of people are staying far away from for all the wrong reasons because he is actually the voice of reason who we need to, most desperately to listen to. The sooner, the better. Um, his name is Robert Spencer. I had the delight of meeting him a few years back at a terrorism conference where he was a speaker. And um, he and a few of the other people who were speaking at the conference and, and who are terrorism experts, and I'll tell you more about Mr. Spencer, um, are the brave ones who are sounding the call, sounding the alarm that... Um, uh, many people are sticking their head in the ground and not wanting to hear, including the mainstream media. And um, Mr. Spencer is a, um, is a New York Times best-selling author of two books. Um, they are The uh, Truth About Mohammed and The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam and the Crusades. And his current book, which will hopefully also make the New York Times bestseller in short shrift, <laughs> is called Arab Winter Comes to America, The Truth About the War We're In. And, um, well, I, I will let Mr. Spencer, um, you know, speak for himself, but for those of you who have been listening to this show for a while, you know that I frequently talk about terrorism, that I've written a book called Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and that my, one of my, probably my biggest pet peeve or, you know, fear for America is that um, we are sticking our heads in the ground. We're not listening to what's happening out in the rest of the world. We're dr- sitting and drinking our lattes and thinking that life is going to go on uh, as the founding fathers imagined it, or at least as it is right now, and that unfortunately is farthest from the truth. So I will um, welcome Robert Spencer, welcome to the show, and, and again, I, I think it's very brave of you to be putting out there, he's written 13 books actually, and uh, it is so brave of you to keep putting this material out there and, of course, hoping that uh, more and more people will pick their heads up out of the sand. So um, welcome and congratulations on this really uh, fabulous book that should be a must-read 
for um, high schools, colleges, you know, people wherever um, wherever you can <laughs> you can have must reads for class or for other kinds of uh, situations. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, uh, it's a great honor, actually, because there's very few people who are willing to discuss these issues nowadays. Yes. Um, well, you know, I got involved in it after 9-11 when I asked myself, what as a psychiatrist could I do to help the world in its, the way it is now, I mean, in its present state, um, considering what the future looks like it will be? And it was to speak out, to try to to try to help people pick their heads up from the sand and to, but I do it in a different way than, than you're doing it, um, you know, more in a psychological way in terms of why we're sticking our heads in the sand and, and um, what we can do, how we can prepare ourselves for not only living with the memories of 9-11, which I think, as you'll probably um, agree, are, are still affecting us every single day, but also living with the headlines every day of new information, new attacks, new um, things that we should be worried about in regard to terrorism. The war on terrorism is, or the terrorists are not going away, and people need to prepare themselves like a marathon um, psychologically and physically to withstand what we have to go through. But, of course, if, we, if people aren't going to acknowledge what we're going to be going through, you know, they're hardly going to be um, uh, wanting to prepare for it like a marathon. So tell us about, let's start off with how you... Um, start off in the book in your introduction with how you went from being someone who was um, an, a, a counter terrorist um, advisor to the FBI to someone who is banned in Britain. Well, it's just sort of, it wasn't really personal. It's just sort of an indication of how things have changed quickly in ways that most people don't realize over the last few years. Uh, the fact is that the Bush administration, although Bush had famously proclaimed that Islam was a religion of peace uh, right after 9-11, he still allowed uh, in the FBI and other uh, and in military and other law enforcement agencies the possibility of speaking honestly about the beliefs and goals of the jihad terrorists, which you have to be able to do, because if you don't understand them, you'll never be able to defeat them. Uh, this is just a basic rule of warfare. Um, but uh, Barack Obama, when he came in, he uh, uh, actually it was October 19th, 2011, when he uh, received a letter, or actually John Brennan, who was then Homeland Security Advisor and is now, of course, the head of the CIA, received a letter from 57 Muslim organizations uh, and, and allied organizations, many of which had ties to Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. And in the letter, they said that uh, there were these Islamophobic counter-terror trainers like Spencer. They named me specifically and some others. And uh, we were uh, connecting Islam to terrorism, as if the jihad terrorists weren't already doing that. Mm. And uh, there was also material discussing Islamic beliefs in counter-terror training, and that this was terrible because it gave the impression that Islam had something to do with terrorism. Mm. And so they demanded that all the counter-terror training materials be scrubbed of all mention of Islam and Jihad in connection with terrorism. And Brennan, as if to emphasize how seriously he took this, uh, actually wrote back on White House stationery mm. and assured them that he would comply. And so since then, now, in it's been three years now, almost three years, uh, the Obama administration is bound as a matter of policy not to speak honestly about the threat that we face. 
and to pretend that it is other than what it is and not to explore the ideology behind those who are trying to destroy it. Wow. Um, how much do you think, and I know this is a, you know, this is a sensitive issue, but um, how much do you think um, Obama's own Muslim um, uh, paternity and Muslim education plays a role in this? Well, there's no doubt that uh, Obama was raised. Some of his most important formative years were in Muslim country. There's no doubt that uh, his father was a Muslim and his stepfather was a Muslim. And uh, there seems to be no doubt from his statements uh, as a matter of public record, like his statement to Nicholas Kristof during the 2008 presidential campaign, that the call to prayer was the uh, most beautiful sound that he had ever heard. It seems pretty clear from this, as well as from his, uh, his, his public policy, which has been consistent all in one direction since he's been president, that he has a very positive view of Islam and Islamic law. Whether he's a secret Muslim or not, I don't think that uh, it's even necessary to know the answer to the question, and I'm not sure anyone does besides Barack Obama himself and maybe his closest friends and family. But there's no doubt that in all of his public activities and all of his decisions as president, he has uh, acted favorably toward those who uh, want to impose Islamic law on societies and rule by it. And so it seems as if he thinks, it seems reasonable to think that uh, as far as Barack Obama is concerned, Islamic law is a fine thing for a society, and he's uh, done all he can to encourage it. Well, you know, it almost seems like what you were just talking about, um, taking Islam and jihad out of out of any kind of counterterrorism um, uh, organization or, or literature or whatever, um, you know, it, that almost seems like a bad movie. It seems like Animal Farm or, or I don't know, 1984. Or I mean, it seems it's so hard to believe. Yes, and I don't think that most Americans even believe it when I tell them, and they don't believe that it could possibly be true. And there's no doubt that there are some courageous FBI agents who are quietly still uh, going about acting as if they know about this jihad threat that they're officially not supposed to acknowledge Mm -hmm. and trying to keep us safe. And my hat's off to them. But the official uh, FBI establishment and the official government uh, policy is against them. You know, part of the problem, I'm sure you would agree, is that most Americans have not read the Koran or not read the version that you refer to when you go to um, uh, look at translations that you, I was reading that you, in your book, that you, uh, how you look at different translations for each of your books and, and it's the, from, from um, sources that actually uh, speak to um, or are targeted towards Muslims themselves so that you get what Muslims themselves are, are understanding as what the Koran says. Yes, exactly. I think that's very important because a lot of people will come up against the claim that Islamic apologists advance whenever anyone mentions some of the things that are problematic about the Quran, some of the uh, passages exhorting to violence and so on. One of the main things that Islamic spokesmen like to say in response is, oh, well, you see, you're reading a faulty translation. It doesn't really say that. Mm -hmm. And so I generally use... uh, uh, translations that are written by Muslims 
for Muslims mm-hmm. so that they can't say that because mm-hmm. then they're laying themselves open to the strange situation of saying that uh, Muslims themselves are misleading other Muslims about the nature of the Quran, mm-hmm. which, of course, would be absurd. Um, the problem is, is that there are all these problematic verses, and they are in all the translations that are accurate, and they are reinforced by Islamic tradition and the commentaries about uh, how Muslims are supposed to understand Islam. So this creates a big problem for the West, and the response right now is just simply to ignore it and deny it and pretend it's not really happening, and that just makes us all more vulnerable. Yes. Well, this would be a good time to take a break. My guest is Robert Spencer. His latest book is called Arab Winter Comes to America, The Truth About the War We're In. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Obviously, you need to stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about terrorism. Can the genie be put back in the bottle? With my guest, Robert Spencer, his new book is called Arab Winter Comes to America, The Truth About the War We're In, and that's what you're hearing. Um, And I want you to talk a little bit before we go on, Robert, about the cost that this is having for you. You have to live in an... Un- I, was, I was mentioning before about being banned in Britain and being banned essentially from, uh, from advising um, people at the FBI and so on, um, and, and that you're having to live in a secure, undisclosed location. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well... It uh, actually started out as a joke years ago, but it is true. I have a lot of death threats, uh, and that's just, it is what it is, you know. Um, I can't get too upset about that at this point. I just got another one yesterday, and it's just all in a day's work, really. Um, the fact is that I'm not going to live forever if I don't do this work, and so it's important to do it because, well, it has to be done. Uh, even more damaging, though, than getting a lot of death threats is the fact that uh you can go to Google and 
look at what they say, and there's all these terrible things out there about me, such that uh, it's clear what uh, my colleague Pamela Geller says, that in the United States they won't assassinate you for criticizing jihad terror, but they'll assassinate your character. Mm. And that's exactly what happens, that the the personal abuse and vilification is very high. So, you know, like yesterday I was in the electronics store getting my computer fixed, and the uh, the computer guy asked me what I did, so I told him, and he was very excited and very interested and said he was going to get my new book and so mm. on, and that's all fine, but I was all sort of cringing inwardly, thinking, well, if he does a Google search on me, then he'll be sort of horrified and probably not get the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> not that any of these things are true, but they, what they, it's not, nor is it personal. What they do is they, uh, the, as I actually, this is a big part of the book that, uh, I discuss how Islamic supremacists and leftists, in order to foreclose on the truth about jihad terror, they, uh, attack the character of the people who speak about it, and anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone who speaks honestly about jihad terror is smeared, demonized, vilified, with the intent of ultimately marginalizing them altogether. Mm. And uh, it's very successful for the most part because people who are uninformed don't realize that it's a tactic or that it's a universal tactic or to what service it's being put. Uh, and so they simply think, well, this guy is controversial, we better run the other way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, hmm. Um, well, t- well, tell us, what, let's go to the premise of the book. Um, how, what Arab Spring, how it started, you know, with Arab Spring, and how, um, what, how that is affecting us, and how it's going to continue to affect us. Sure. Uh, the Arab Spring, of course, was this wonderful flowering of democracy and pluralism in the Middle East, at least if you believe Barack Obama and the mainstream media. The reality was very different. As I and a few others were saying at the time, it was really a pro-Sharia Islamic supremacist takeover. And yet fantasy guided the analysis that prevailed in Washington and in the media, and still does to a tremendous degree, especially in regard to our response to the domestic terror threat. It's the same kind of willful ignorance and unreality fantasy-based policymaking that endangers us all. And uh, this is uh, a big problem, obviously, because, uh, well, as I show in the book, the Boston Marathon jihad bombing and the Fort Hood jihad massacre, these things could have been prevented, should have been prevented, and indeed would have been prevented had it not been for the fact that... uh, uh, the agents were not able to act realistically on the intelligence that they had because they had been forbidden to get into Islam. And so the Boston thing, Tamerlan Tsarnaev, the bomber, the main bomber, the Russians told the FBI that he was a jihad terrorist. They said he was a follower of, a radic- of radical Islam and a strong believer who had tried to join underground groups in Dagestan. The only underground groups in Dagestan are jihad terror groups, mm. the hotbed of al-Qaeda activity. And so to say that he was a follower of radical Islam who tried to join underground groups should have been quite enough for the FBI to keep him under constant surveillance. It was not. And uh, obviously the reason why is because either the agents had been trained under the new regime, and so they had no idea really what it meant or the significance of it, that he was a follower of radical Islam hmm. and had tried to join underground groups in Dagestan, or they had come in under the old regime. They knew what it meant, but they knew that it wasn't politically correct to talk about it. Hmm. And they 
dared not act upon it in the environment that the Obama administration had created. Wow, and either way, either way, it's not good. Yes. Um, you know, what about the people, I'm just thinking, I guess there's no, um, I, I'm just thinking about whether there's some potential lawsuit against these FBI agents or people who didn't act on this information. I mean, for example, from the families of the, of the people who were killed and injured in the Boston Marathon. Well, that's a good question, and uh, I don't know that it would be possible. Uh, I, I suppose there would have to be a great deal of investigation as to who exactly uh, was uh, involved with getting that intelligence from the Russians and uh, what they did with it and so on. Um, I'm not an investigative reporter. I don't know how I would go about getting that information or if even it would be available at this point from the feds because... I know that there's a great circle the wagons mentality uh, about all that. I mean, for example, there's, there's so much about this that we sort of have to know. Uh, take, for example, the fact that I just told you, and it's abundantly established, that the Russians told us about Tamerlan Sarnaev. Well, the UK paper, the Daily Mail, which is a terrible paper but often has stories that uh, the American press won't touch. Mm -hmm. They reported right after the Boston bombing that the Saudis also had warned us about Tamerlan Sarnayev. And in their story, it said that a State Department official confirmed this. Mm. The next day, the next day, the story was gone, huh. and it was replaced by a story saying that the Saudis denied giving any information <laughs> to the U.S. about Tamerlan Sarnayev, but there was no mention whatsoever about this unnamed State Department official who had apparently huh. confirmed the earlier story. And so the mystery just multiplies, and there are all sorts of aspects of the story that are like that. We heard right after the bombing that Tamerlan and Jokart Sarnayev were throwing out IEDs from their car as the police were giving chase during the big manhunt, and that the way that they were, the sophisticated way in which they were responding to the police chase showed that these guys had been carefully mm. trained. Mm. And then that went down the memory hole, and now there are a couple of freelance jihadis who just decided to read the Al-Qaeda magazine and make a pressure cooker bomb. Well, what happened to their sophisticated evasion, uh -huh. evasion techniques? How come we never heard anything about that? Because it would probably lead back to those underground groups in Dagestan and show up yet again the abject failure of the feds to deal with this case properly. Yes. And you also, um, well, what do you think should happen to um, the brother who is going to be on trial soon? Well, I think you should be found guilty. There are a number of witnesses, and uh, it seems to be a pretty open and shut case. Well, what so I, I mean is, <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree that he's guilty, but what I mean is, what do you think the punishment should be? Oh, well, if there is a death penalty in the United States, then he should get it. No doubt about that. Uh, I actually started to answer saying he should be found guilty because you know there is the free Jahar people that are saying that he's been uh, set up and that Boston, the Boston Marathon bombing was a false flag operation by a venomously Islamophobic U.S. government in order to be able to uh, victimize more innocent Muslims. I think that mm. that's the height of mm. paranoid leftist fantasy uh, that Barack Obama would be fronting an operation like that. But that is the, the state of the public discourse these days that these things even get aired about.
Well, it's the same thing like um, there's even a larger group, I would think, over the years, I guess because it's been more time, um, who, you know, try to say that 9-11 was an inside job. Indeed, yeah, same thing. I guess this is something that's just going to be part of the the background noise anytime there's a jihad terror attack these days. It seems to me to be just another indication of the massive denial that blankets the response in the United States in general to the jihad threat and uh, endangers us all. Yes. You know, going back to the Arab Spring and and the impact, um, and I know I want to talk about some of the other things that you have in your book about uh, other examples of terrorists that have um, come since then that have been sort of a result of that. You know, another way to look at that is um, the that people don't <laughs> somehow still don't connect to this the possibility of this happening in America. But I mean, look at what's happening in Africa, for example. Um, uh, you know, and, and Europe, of course. Um, but you, you know, I think people, even, people in this country, even though we we hear in the news about all the things. I mean, of course, in the UK, seven seven, there nine eleven. Um, in 2005, there, you know, uh, the terrorist attack on the subways and the bus and so on. Um, and then Spain and, and all of these things that happen in Europe and just this general infiltration of terrorists into Europe. And now we are hearing more and more about Africa and about, uh, I mean, you know, for example, the, the girls, the school girls who were kidnapped and, and so on. And, and people in this country hear about these things. And yet, you know, it's like, oh, well, isn't that interesting or isn't that terrible? But not like, uh-oh, <laughs> this could be happening here any day soon. Yeah, I don't think that, I think you're absolutely right that uh, psychologically, you're psychologists, and I'm sure you understand this far better than I, they just don't believe that this kind of thing can happen here. And they think, well, that's Kenya. Well, even that's Europe. You know, in Europe, they, they, they have all this tradition of warfare and internecine bloodshed, and it's the same thing in Africa. But in America, we have a tradition of peace and stability, and they think that it's sort of a birthright and, 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 and right. something that they can take for granted that it will always be here. Yes. But I think that the continuity they need to be much more concerned about is the fact that the Islam that is in Africa and the Islam that is in Europe is not any different from the Islam that's in the United States. Certainly Muslims in the United States may be more affluent than those in Africa, if not those in Europe, uh, but uh, there's not any difference in their belief system. And so the same thing, the same Islamic beliefs that lead Muslims to become aggressive and violent in Africa and Europe are going to lead Muslims to become aggressive and violent in the United States. There is absolutely nothing preventing it. And uh, those who just assume that it will never happen also don't understand the reality of Islamic theology. Islamic theology uh, mandates that if Muslims are a small minority in a country, then they preach tolerance and peace. And as their numbers grow, then they get more aggressive and assertive and violent in accord with the trajectory of Muhammad's own career. And so we see exactly that happening, that they started out calling for tolerance and peace in Europe as well, and they're now growing more aggressive and violent. The same thing is going to happen here. There's just nothing stopping it. Yes, and and um, certainly later on in the show we'll talk about some of the things that you suggest need to happen, but um, not very optimistic that they will. Um, ah, and here's the... <laughs> And here's the uh, the signal for a break. Um, okay, 
My guest is Robert Spencer. His new book is called Arab Winter Comes to America, The Truth About the War We're In. You're hearing some of these truths now. Obviously, these are uh, uh, some of the highlights of his book, but you really need to read the whole thing. Uh, We're talking about terrorism. Can the genie be put back in the bottle? You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Robert Spencer. He is the director of Jihad Watch, which is a program of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's the author of 13 books, as I mentioned, including two New York Times bestsellers, The Truth About Muhammad and The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam. I love that title, and The Crusades. And he's led seminars on Islam and jihad for the FBI, the United States Central Command. That's when the the FBI was still using the word jihad in Islam. Uh, The United States Army Command and General Staff College and the Army's Asymmetric Warfare Group, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, well, and the U.S. Intelligence Community. Community, and obviously um, needed more than ever since you, you, you don't have a problem with saying the words jihad and Islam. Um, why don't we talk about another example that you, t- that you uh, describe in your book, in the current book, um, called Arab Winter Comes to America, The Truth About the War We're In, um, about Fort Hood and how that could have been prevented. Well, there's no doubt that it could have been and should have been. Uh, the uh, Fort Hood Jihad murderer, of course, Major Nidal Hassan, was an army psychiatrist who uh, uh, came up for, as all uh, army personnel do, periodic performance evaluations and uh, the re- uh, recommendations or non-recommendations from his superiors. So Nidal Hassan when he came up for evaluations from his superiors, was always given glowing recommendations and uh, promotions on a regular basis, such that at the time of the massacre, he was a major in the U.S. Army. And Nidal Malik Hassan, at the time, just a few months before his massacre, 
the, the time that he got his last performance evaluations, he was already in touch with Anwar al-Laki, the jihad terror mastermind in Yemen, who actually was from New Mexico and was an American citizen. And uh, he had already terrified his co-workers by speaking honestly about jihad violence in a way that made them think he loves all this. He's, he, he could go jihad himself. And his superiors were the people, above all, who should have and could have known that. And um, at the same time, when they did know that, they still gave him these glowing evaluations. Now, it's very clear to understand why they did that, because if you can just imagine for a moment what might have happened if they hadn't, it's very easy to imagine. Think about if they had said, this guy is... uh, uh, scaring his co-workers with his talk about jihad. This guy is in touch with a Muslim cleric in Yemen who has been linked to jihad terror activity. Um, there would have been an outcry from the Council on American Islamic Relations. There would have been perhaps a big expose in CNN or in the New York Times about uh, Islamophobia in the military. And the careers of the people giving the performance evaluations, the negative ones, would have been ruined. They knew when they gave him those evaluations that he was a dangerous guy. They knew that uh, he was somebody who could cause a lot of trouble in the future. But they also knew that if they did anything to head him off, that it was he, they who could be uh, targeted. It was they who would be um, blamed. It was their careers that would be ruined. And so they didn't do anything. And, of course, the uh, upshot was that because of this, political correctness, because of this uh, understanding of what happens nowadays to those who speak out in this way, 13 people were killed. You know, this um, example is particularly troubling to me as a psychiatrist, because maybe earlier on, at least, if not, you know, at at the end, um, uh, while he was uh, you know, right before, as he was scaring people more. But earlier on, there should have been signs. I mean, in every, you know, <laughs> I did my psychiatry residency at Bellevue, NYU Bellevue, and it was a great program. Um, and we get, we got, you know, I, they weren't, I mean, I guess you could call them performance reviews, but I mean, we got um, uh, inspected in a sense all the time. And if anyone was suspected of maybe not being psychologically fit to be a psychiatrist or, you know, uh, having some kinds of problems, some action was taken, whether it was to um, suggest that the person go to therapy or or suggest that he find another career, whatever. But So it really is troubling to me that somewhere, even if not, if not at the end, then certainly earlier, somewhere along his career path as a psychiatrist, becoming a psychiatrist, um, that, that some other psychiatrist wouldn't have, have recognized this and headed off, you know, before it got to that point. Well, you know, the problem is political correctness trumps all that, trumps professional considerations. Uh, there was even an FBI agent who was stunned because he was writing reports about Al-Laki being in contact with Nidal Hassan, and he would send them up the line to his superiors, and they would constantly come back saying, we're not interested in this guy. Uh, Not a product of interest. They would mark Mm -hmm. his reports every time. And so finally he asked them, what is going on? This guy is uh, in touch with a jihad terrorist, and he's uh, uh, spoken openly about waging jihad, 
and you're just telling me it's not a product of interest? And the fact is that his, uh, then the response he got was, listen, we cannot, uh, uh, there's sensitive political issues involved with this. And mm. we can't just discipline every Muslim soldier who uh, talks with somebody who's questionable. Mm. And, you know, it was very clear what the military wanted was a Muslim officer because they wanted to show that this was not a war against Islam. And so it was a matter of, uh, it was a matter of pride for them that they could show off people like that. Mm. And uh, so they actually wrote to him and they said, that the, uh, the Washington field office of the Joint Terrorism Task Force doesn't go out and interview every Muslim guy who visits extremist websites. Uh, the, and so they, don't, they didn't think that he was a terrorism threat. And you've got to wonder, if they have a, that already as a matter of policy, how many Muslim military mm-hmm. men are visiting so-called extremist websites? Mm-hmm. And uh, is it really so politically incorrect that we can't say anything about that? Yes. I mean, we're going to be dying by our own political correctness. Well, this is a, this is a good way to segue into um, what you write about uh, your, the last chapter of your book, or actually the epilogue, What Must Be Done. So tell us about what, if you were president, <laughs> what yes, you would if do. if I'm elected, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, the thing is, of course, obviously there has to be a huge transformation in the uh, society and culture and in the political system such that we could make it possible even to enforce existing laws. Section 2385 of the Federal Criminal Code says that anyone who willfully or will knowingly advocates, abets, advises, or teaches the duty, necessity, desirability, or propriety of overthrowing or destroying the U.S. government by force or violence shall be fined or imprisoned, etc., etc. Now, I understand that... uh, Violent overthrow of the U.S. government is only the, that's all that is covered by that law. But it would seem like uh, overthrow of the U.S. government, even by nonviolent subversive means, ought to be something that could be uh, subsumed under the, under this rubric and prosecuted as a result. Um, after all, certainly public officials are sworn to uphold and protect the Constitution. It would seem to me to be upholding and protecting the Constitution to start working against groups like the. Uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations and others that try to undermine our uh, system and bring in Islamic law. Um, so we need to do that. We need to reconfigure our alliances on a global basis such that no state that uh, institutionalizes oppression of women and non-Muslims and align with Islamic law is considered to be an ally of the United States and gets any American aid. Um, we need to reclassify the Muslim groups in the United States that are engaging in political action as political groups, so they'll be subject to all the accountability and scrutiny of such groups. Um, These things, of course, are very unlikely to happen. They're wildly unlikely to happen. There's no politician that is coming anywhere close to saying anything like these things. Uh, And this just indicates how much how far we have to go, how much we have to do to get to where we need to be. The situation is uh, is grave, to say the least, but the first thing that has to be done is the raising of awareness, and that's one of the things that I've tried to accomplish by writing this book. Well, well what kind of reaction are you getting so far? Um, I mean, are, well, I mean, I guess, you know, you've written 13 books, so, and we know that you're living in a, in a, in a uh, secure um, uh, and unknown location, 
Um, I mean, you were talking about how you've been vilified on the Internet and so on, but I mean, do you, I guess what I'm asking is, are you seeing any progress? Do you, you've written all these books. you put all this work into it. Do you, are you seeing, um, besides the vilifying, are you seeing some progress in terms of reaching more people, um, waking up more people? No, I'm sorry to say I'm not seeing anything like that. That's actually why I wrote this book. Um, the other books that I wrote were about the nature and magnitude of the uh, jihad threat. And this book is about the denial of that jihad threat. And the denial is what ultimately will do us in, uh, the willful ignorance about it. So I would say that uh, after all these years and all this doing this, um, there isn't anything that I can point to and say is progress. The clouds are darkening. The the, uh, freedom of speech is under attack. Most people are unaware of or indifferent to the reality of the attack on the freedom of speech and unaware and, uh, of and indifferent to the defense of the freedom of speech at all. They don't seem to care or understand why it's important. Um, so, as I say, raising awareness is the main thing, and that's what I'm trying to do these days. But uh, there's not a whole lot to point out right now and say, well, this is encouraging. I mean, look, uh, every counter-jihad speaker, every foe of jihad terrorism, Every last one, without exception, is uh, targeted, vilified, demonized, and that has the cumulative effect of making people think that this is there's something wrong with discussing this. Mm. There's something wrong with uh, with uh, opposing it. And here again, that just endangers us all. And you do make a distinction. I mean, do you um, about you're not because people who would say it's not like you're. Well, I guess I should. You're not saying, are you, that um, all Muslims are bad? You're saying, I mean, it's not an attack against Muslims per se, right? Yeah, of course. See, this is the kind of thing. The fact that you even have to write, ask the question indicates how effective this kind of smear campaign is. Mm-hmm. That uh, I, uh, my work has been entirely devoted to the defense of human rights, the defense of the freedom of speech, the defense of the equality of rights of all people before the law. There is nothing that anyone can legitimately point to and say, see, there he advocates X mm-hmm. and Y that's authoritarian or violent or something like that. Uh, and so the fact that... Um, you even have to raise the question, indicates how effective these smear campaigns really are. Well, I'm, uh, I'm actually not asking said, it for, for myself. I just wanted to make sure that my listeners knew that, you know, what yeah, your stand yeah. was. And I, I understand that, too. That's that's what I mean, mm-hmm. that uh, people that are out there listening, they probably, there are some of them who probably have heard, oh, he says all Muslims are evil or all Muslims are terrorists or something like that, mm-hmm. because it's a very favored tactic of mm-hmm. the left and Islamic supremacists to claim that. Like, for example, just recently at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum, they're just about to open and they had a showing, uh, a secret, uh, private, not a secret, a closed private showing mm-hmm. for a select group of their exhibits. And one of the things they did was show this film on Al-Qaeda that they're going to have as part of the exhibits to explain to people what the motives of the terrorists were. And Muslim leaders were there, and they saw the film, and they were enraged, and they said, people will see this and think mm. all Muslims are like this. Mm. Well, nowhere does the film say all Muslims are like that. Nowhere do the, does the museum say all Muslims are like mm-hmm. that. But that's just what Islamic supremacists yeah. who are actually on the side of the terrorists charge yeah. in order to st- close out any... Yeah legitimate criticism of the out Right, right. 
Well, we take, need to take another break. Um, my guest is Robert Spencer. His latest book is Arab Winter Comes to America, The Truth About the War We're In. That's what we're hearing. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about terrorism. Can the genie be put back in the bottle? And that's uh, a very big... Um, <laughs> that's not looking very likely... According to my guest, Robert Spencer, and, um, you know, uh, in Mr. Spencer's latest book, um, it's, it's like a, uh, a buffet of um, gems, of things that we need to know and need to think about and need to act upon. Uh, it's so hard to, to choose what to ask him about. One of the things that you talk about that I think is, um, has also, uh, there's a general issue about it, is um, how there was a secret document seized from the Muslim Brotherhood um, who you say the Obama administration has zealously befriended, and it reveals the organization's radical Islamic goals, which include the imposition of Sharia law in America. And that's really the, the, um, the elephant in the room, isn't it? I mean, besides violence, of course, and more terrorist attacks, um, you know, people who think 9-11 was the latest one or the last one, um, that's, I mean, besides the Boston Marathon, obviously they were wrong because there was the Boston Marathon, but I mean of that magnitude. But really, um, besides overtaking the West, it's, it's the imposition of Sharia law. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the document in question was found during a raid of the Holy Land Foundation offices. The Holy Land Foundation at the time was the largest Islamic charity in the United States. It's since been shut down. It was actually shut down at the time of the raid for the uh, funding. It was funneling charitable contributions to Hamas, the jihad terror group. And so um, 
that, of course, being illegal under U.S. law, it was closed down. But the raid of the offices was a treasure trove of information, yielded a treasure trove of information, including this captured internal document of the Muslim Brotherhood that was never intended to be released to the general public. It was just an internal strategy about what the Brotherhood's goals were in the United States. And it said that uh, the brothers must understand that their goal in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house so that it is it falls and Allah's religion is victorious over other religions. And so that's the goal of most of the Muslim organizations in the U.S., most of which are tied to the Brotherhood. And some of the ways that they're doing this, um, nonviolent ways, um, are by trying to get witnesses to not cooperate and not testify in cases that would be against them. Like, for example, the um, case a few years back of the, um, what was that, the, the Muslims who were praying in the airplane. The, remember, the, there was a case against an airline, I forgot which one now, um, for questioning the Muslims who were in the airline. There, were, uh, there was a group. Yeah, that, U.S. Airways. They, uh, they uh, the Muslim, uh, yeah, there were six imams, they were acting very suspiciously. And uh, the airline finally asked them to leave the plane, and then they sued. Um, I don't believe they won the case, because uh, they simply didn't have evidence that the airline was trying to discriminate. But the point really was not to win the case. The point was to make airline officials afraid mm -hmm. to do anything about Muslims behaving suspiciously on airplanes. And that was really what was going on. And as far as the intimidation of witnesses goes, that also has happened. The Council on American Islamic Relations uh, is guilty of that. For example, there was a few years back uh, quite a lot of publicity given to the fact that the uh, Somali jihad terror group Al-Shabaab was recruiting for jihad in Somalia among Muslims from Somalia who were living in Minneapolis. And there were some Somali Muslims also in Minneapolis who thought this was terrible and were trying to stop it until the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which of course has ties to Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, started to do the same thing to these Muslims that they do to counter-jihad spokesmen and to smear and demonize and vilify them, uh, and such that these guys were afraid they were going to get attacked. Um, and it's very telling that CARE still enjoys a reputation as a solid, moderate civil rights organization when it does this kind of thing to Muslims who are doing ostensibly what you would expect them to want Muslims to do, and that is to oppose jihad terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of looking bleak on all fronts. And now there's another, something new that just happened, actually, uh, was that actually yes t today um, apparently regarding um, Iran targeting U.S. aircraft carriers? You want to tell us about that? Yeah, you know uh, there was recently this wonderful agreement that Barack Obama and the Iranians came to that supposedly restricted the Iranian nuclear program. Uh, but ever since then, the Iranians have been increasingly bellicose, increasingly assertive, increasingly. Uh, bold in their rhetoric, indicating again and again that uh, they don't think they were standing down from anything nuclear or anything else. They feel more stronger than ever. Uh, they think that they got the better of John Kerry and that uh, 
Barack Obama has essentially given them everything that they want, um, such that uh, the, the remarks in question come from Admiral, Admiral Ali Fadavi, who is the uh, head of the naval forces for the Revolutionary Guards, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards, uh, uh, which is, of course, a very significant force in uh, the Iranian military and politics. And uh, he said, aircraft carriers are the symbol of America's military might. The carriers are responsible for supplying America's air power. So it's natural that we want to sink the car- carriers. And uh, Iran is actually building a replica of the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz. And uh, it seems that what they're going to do is use it in uh, military exercises, probably blow it up or something. Yes. What did he say, 50 seconds, they, they could destroy it? <laughs> yes. But of course, I mean, I don't know. The model is probably made of balsa wood. It's not <laughs> likely to be a full aircraft carrier. But obviously, their their bellicose intentions are clear uh, to everyone except Barack Obama and John Kerry. Yeah, I mean, you know, this has been going on for years and years, and all we do is sit here and write and and make sanctions which apparently are not effective. I mean, and in the meantime, as these years are going by, and we think we know how much, what their um, nuclear power, you know, how far advanced they are in terms of getting nuclear power, um, we don't really know because, because, because they're hiding a lot of things. I mean, this thing about showing UN um, um, investigators or observers or something, uh, I mean, are we? We're being incredibly naive to believe that that we can count on what is being shown. Yes, of course. But incredibly naive is the hallmark of uh, the Barack Obama foreign policy. Uh, you got to wonder. You know, does he really credulously believe these imams? Does he believe the Supreme Ayatollah, the Supreme Leader Khamenei, when he says nuclear weapons are against Islam? Does he really believe that? He seems to be staking an awful lot on it. And, uh, I, you know, you got to hope he's right, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah, and in the meantime, they're buying time. They're buying years and years and years of time to keep getting further along, advancing to nuclear weapons. I yes. mean, and laughing at us all the way. Precisely. Uh, I mean, and they have nothing, no reason not to laugh at us, no reason to do anything else, because... The uh, foreign policy, the fantasy-based policy-making that we have been uh, pursuing all these years, it, it is laughable. Now, you write about how, you know, in the, in the chapter where you talk about, um, well, we only have a couple of minutes left, uh, about, you know, why you don't think that they're going to do with some of the things that you talk about that they should do in order to reverse this trend and to protect America better. And you talk about self-hatred as being at the key um, or at the root of why we're not taking a better stand, paying more attention. Could you expound upon that? Well, it is. I think that, uh, oh. for example, the left does generally think that something that is anti-Western, anti-Christian, anti, uh, you know, it's non-white, non-Western, non-Christian, it must be good. And so, I mean, of course, uh, Islam is uh, not any non-West, not any, I mean, it's, predominantly non-Western, but there are more and more Muslims in the West all the time. It is obviously non-Christian, and it's uh, not in the least non-white. There are plenty of white Muslims. It's not a racial issue at all. But this is the simplistic kind of thinking that the um, that the 
left pursues. And mm-hmm. it, uh, I think that's why they take such a gentle view and a sanguine view toward uh, Islam. They think, well, these people, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. These people are against Western civilization. They must be good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, our time is up. Um, I do want to tell people um, that they can find the book, and I do recommend to all of you listening that uh, to read this. You know, yes, it's an inconvenient truth. Yes, of course, we all wish it were different, but we have got to know about this now because it's not going to get any better unless we more of us speak out and do something about it and elect people who will do something about it. The book, again, is called Arab Winter Comes to America, the truth about the war we're in. Um, You can find it in bookstores. You can find it on Amazon. You can um, read more. (laughs) You can read more about Robert Spencer, my guest, um, although as he has already warned you, don't believe the uh, the things that are vilifications and that I, I guess, you know, it's flattery. The more uh, vilified you are, in a sense, the more powerful um, the terrorists think that you are. So you should take it as a compliment. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. You've spread this um, around. You know that you've been hearing us live today, um, but you know that this will go up on the Voice America website in a day or so. And um, please link this, send this around on social media to other people so that they can hear it and buy the book and uh, be, you know, break through their denial. So thank you, Robert Spencer. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.